Good afternoon, everybody. Very excited today in Around the Town podcast. We have a special guest, Dr. Rosalind Artist, uh, our 14th president of Benedict College. Yes, welcome. Sir. I feel very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's so exciting to have you. There's so much going on at Benedict and really excited for you to share what's going on. But, you know, it also a little bit for folks who don't know, she also was the first female president at uh, Florida Memorial University, Education Advisor, U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security. We hate to admit it, but she was a lawyer at one point. Um, I've recovered, Mr. Mayor. I've you're a recovering lawyer. That's right. That's what I good thing. Um, you know, and the beauty part, um, she w- she was born in Springfield, Mass. What a great city. I spent a great deal of time in Pomfret, Connecticut, and a lot of places. So I was very close to Springfield. Um, but you spent most of your life in, in West Virginia. I did. I did. Raised in southern West Virginia, Beckley, right in the heart of the state. Beckley. Um, mm-hmm. Who did I go to school with from Beckley? Uh, went to school with a guy from Beckley. Um, Oh my! Well, if you've ever gone Payne, to the state of West Payne, Virginia, last name Payne, Tucker um, Payne. Net, oh, Tucker was my classmate in, in elementary school and middle Tucker school Payne. and high school. We went to we went to what a really small world. Tucker and I went to uh, elementary school together, and middle school and high school. We graduated the same year. That's unbelievable. Yeah, small world. It is a very small world. He's a, from a family of lawyers. Yeah, uh, and he's also, not. Yeah, well, he found a better calling, apparently. Uh, he, he's a um, great guy. I haven't seen him in a long time, but hey, how about just give us the the 20,000 view of, of Benedict? You know, you, you've had five years now? Five years. Five years at Benedict. Talk, talk a little bit about from day one until now. I mean, there's so much going on and so much. You've had all these incredible guests that I know you're going to share with us, programs, the enhancements on campus, you know, obviously all these championships. Y'all, if y'all could see her right now, she's got 10 championship rings on her fingers, um, (laughs) which I think is fabulous. I mean, I hope you have continue to get them. And then obviously we're going to talk a little bit about football, but Columbia as well. Sure. Well, as you know, I am incredibly proud to be the leader of Benedict College at this moment in its history. Uh, It has been a transformational five years, I think is probably the best way to describe it. The institution, while nearly 150 years old when I'd arrived, um, was had hit some headwinds. Uh, we had some challenges with some outdated technology. Uh, we're struggling with just some crushing debt service, uh, the need to upgrade our facilities considerably, the need to reevaluate our programming to ensure that we were being responsive to the needs of the employer community. Uh, so we had our work cut out for us, uh, I think, when we started. Um, but it has been a wonderful ride. Uh, we got busy immediately working on the financial uh, stability of the institution. We're able to uh, float a bond and restructure our debt and give ourselves a little, I call it runway, so we can get that plane off the ground. Uh, we're very fortunate to be able to do that in the first year. And then started on the second F, and that is facilities. I really spent a great deal of time upgrading facilities, uh, one of which was our football stadium, the Charlie W. Johnson Stadium there on Two Notch Road. Uh, really a showpiece for the city but had fallen in disrepair a little bit for us. And so the ability to make some significant investments in that stadium, um, because we want to welcome the community uh, to Benedict College events. And so making that investment was important to us. Improving the quality of life for our students, whether that is their living or their learning spaces, was also a significant priority. Technology upgrades. Uh, Benedict still had um, Cat 4 and Cat 5 cables running underground. Uh, So we ran a lot of fiber in the last five years to ensure that we had adequate cell signal and be able to connect our students to the world. 
Uh, we upgraded our programming. Uh, we jettisoned about seven academic programs. That didn't make me terribly popular with the, the faculty in those seven programs. But our focus really was on ensuring that we had work-ready students, that students had 21st century skills and they were able to just go out into this world and get a job or go on to graduate or professional school. And so things that did not lead directly to opportunity for our students, uh, we made the decision to separate. We doubled down and we took those resources from those, those closed programs and really reinvested them in things like cybersecurity. Uh, we are the first historically black college to have esports. And some people say, gaming? You go to college to learn to play games? This is not about the games. This is not about playing games. It's about developing games. It's about building games. It's about taking hold of an industry that is among the fastest growing industries in the country and really being able to generate wealth as a result of that. Uh, we double down on entrepreneurship. You know, as a small business owner, how critical uh, business development is to our communities and the growth and sustainability of our communities. Uh, we have two incubators, a business development center and a women's business center that we stood up uh, in the middle of COVID-19 because we're gluttons for punishment. Um, actually, it was because we felt like we really needed to reach out to particularly minority and women-owned businesses to help them to be sustainable and really reinvest into the economic base of the city of Columbia. So lots and lots of exciting things happening as it relates to program development, facilities upgrades and improvement, infrastructure and technology. Uh, and then, you know, we won a few ball games along the way. So we've been, I'm living the dream as it were. Ball uh, games, here at track Bennett. meets, volleyball, basketball. We're having fun. I mean. <laughs> and did I mention my band? I mean, they're going to Macy's. We're really excited That's about right. that. That's right. This is That's the year. Right. This is the real year. Um, For those who don't know, Steve the Benjamin, if you're listening, yeah. <laughs> Mayor Benjamin went a year ahead of uh, Vance. His father-in-law insisted that that they go because Benedict Band was going to be there, and they went a year early. Yeah. Um, so, well, he can watch us on again. TV this year. Yeah. No, I think that's so exciting for the kids. We're very excited. They got to be just ready because that's they are. You, you, that's less than three weeks away. It is. And they are counting the days. Um, we actually modified our academic calendar. So our students conclude their semester at Thanksgiving. Uh, we did that because a number of our students really come from low wealth backgrounds and the financial burden of going home at Thanksgiving, coming back for a week to take your finals and then going back home again, the travel cost was considerable. So we started our semester August 1st, a little bit earlier than most colleges and universities, and we will conclude at Thanksgiving. So not only are those kids done with finals and at the end of a semester, but they're going to take this really great trip to New York during the week of Thanksgiving. And so they're very, very excited. Um, I'm excited. I saw the itinerary today. I don't get to do all the things they get to do. Uh, they're going to Broadway. They're going to the Statue of Liberty. They're going, you know, down to the uh, stock exchange to see what's going on with money in this country. And so it's it's a really robust experience for them. And I hope they make, obviously, Columbia and the, and the state of South Carolina very proud. Well, we know they'll do that. I mean, there's no doubt. Uh, historically they've always been an incredible band but what an incredible experience for individuals because just the sights and the sounds and the sheer mass of new york city for some people is an incredible experience um i know i'm always in awe every time i go to to new york but i like to walk around i love to to feel the city as i like to call it i like it. to people watch there's a lot of well, you can definitely <laughs> There's a do lot that. of unusual people in New York. Everybody talks about it's the fashion capital. And I look around, I was like, did somebody tell them that none of this matches? And, yeah. and it, it's a free for all. But you got you got here five years ago. You, you've transformed, in my opinion, Benedict. Really, you, you yeah. came at the right place. You, you've created this sense of energy. 
And I'll tell you why I know that is because with this intercollegiate engagement council we have, um, Cleopatra Jones, I can't call her by her middle name, Cleopatra, I love that name, <laughs> Cleopatra Jones. But she, you know, for a kid who was in Las Vegas, come here to school, criminal justice, and wants to stay and look at possibly going to a graduate program. Mm-hmm. But when she talks about the campus and the programs and the leadership and all that's going on, I mean, she's full smile the entire time. And every one of those youngsters, those young adults that I meet over there, they, they, they're that way. So that, that says a lot about what y'all have done so far. Well, I appreciate that. We're very, very proud of our student body and very grateful um, that you had the vision to create the council. It's wonderful to give young people an opportunity to be engaged in their government and the development of their communities. And so I think our kids have really embraced that. I know that all the kids from the colleges and universities have been appreciative of your leadership in that regard. And, and I think it, it long term, I hope it, it really it's gotten us to understand why kids aren't choosing to stay here, but also understanding that they're missing opportunities to connect with kids at other campuses. Yeah. The cross-pollinization here has been so isolated, and and all of these kids are excited about an opportunity to do something together and interact and, and but be part of it and understand what we have to offer here, which is great. But you, when you first got here, what was, the, what was the biggest surprise you saw? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think probably I knew that Benedict was a historic institution. Right, many of our starkly black colleges are at least 150 old, 50 years old, and so the history and the legacy of the institutions is critically important. But I think um, the the flip side of that is that you have this legacy in history, and it also means your stuff's 150 years old. It also means your infrastructure is historic, right? It also <laughs> means you have some legacy wiring, you have some legacy infrastructure, and so really getting deeply engaged. I've, I've been on some roofs. I've been in some crawl spaces. I've learned more about infrastructure than I probably wanted to know. Um, and it's been a great joy really to see um, things evolve on the campus and to see the kids really embrace the changes that we're making. Um, you know, when we went to college, we had, you know, very different dormitories, very different showers, very different amenities than the kids have today. And they really want Uh, much more current, a little more privacy, and a little more current facilities. And so it's been a delight to be able to provide some of those things for our students. And and just as you mentioned earlier, the upgrades in the dormitories, upgrades in the classroom, technology, uh, I think one of the things that I was really excited about is the cyber incubator and where that's headed and and how you tie it in the gaming. Because it's very interesting that I think a lot of people don't understand that, that the cyber community is a job opportunity for lots of, I mean, the, the last number I heard was 2.7 million jobs mm-hmm. available in cyber. It's about an $89 billion industry to South Carolina, and we're just the very small part of it. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we want to continue to do is, is push these businesses to come here because we have the student pop. I believe right. these students are our workforce for the future and, we need to entertain and attract businesses that can keep these these young folks, these talented folks here. And I think the more innovative, the more we push. And I love that the 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 cyber because I think it's very important. Yeah, uh, that was really you know such a great observation that you're making. Uh, that was one of our driving sort of forces when we thought about programmatic changes. So we had a criminal justice program. Most colleges and universities will offer a criminal justice program. Um, 
But a criminal justice program prepares students very often for jobs that they might be able to obtain without a degree. You could go to the police academy, you could go to the military, you could work in our prison system. There are a whole host of jobs that you could do. Certainly, I would argue you could do them a little more effectively with a college degree, but the reality is you could get some of those jobs without a college degree. Cyber is a very different story. While the certifications tend to matter as much as very often the degrees, the entering salaries are far more significant. Uh, the opportunity to grow and develop far more um, expansive for those students. And so we really thought critically about, are we training criminal justice or are we training cybersecurity experts? White collar crime seems to be where the action is these days. We all know the challenges. Uh, Benedict suffered a catastrophic breach in 2018, which was a heck of a learning experience for me. I did not know, uh, you probably do. When they say ransom, that's literal. I mean, yeah. they literally called me and expected me to wire money to a secret location to acquire my own data. Um, it was quite an, an experience for us. And so um, we got an up close and personal look at just how important and how critical data security is, data integrity, and certainly cybersecurity professionals can be in this industry. Well, and, and it's far reaching, you know, for a long time, people put cybersecurity was just, you know, governmental or, or you know, experimental uh, industries or, or wherever. But the reality is it involves everywhere. We had we had an instance here not too long ago where a CEO of a company here was in one of these, I didn't know this term, I just learned it, swatting. Mm -hmm. But they went after their, their family members. And they got their their cell phone numbers and stuff, and they were doing the false police. Hey, I'm there's somebody holding hostage, and and I was like, this is a real thing. Yeah. And first of all, I don't understand why anybody would do that. Number one, but it's a real problem. It but is. then it gets into the data breach, as you said. Uh, uh, well, I was counsel several years ago. They they took all well most of council members. They got our information started opening bank accounts. I think mm -hmm. Steve and I between the two of us had like five or ten bank accounts out there, <laughs> and they were borrowing money at five hundred dollars a clip from these different little agencies because it wasn't wow. traceable. Dump it into a internet account and then pull it out. But it was a thing that was going on. It's like who has time to figure out how to do this. You know, I mean, I I, I yeah. don't know. I guess I didn't grow up in an era where my life was behind a computer, so I don't look at it the yeah. same way. But I thought it was interesting. Um, we talked about the cy cybersecurity, which I thought, you know, is great. But you, the other place that I think you've really concentrated on is preparing women and minority businesses to get in the business world and, and, and getting students to think about taking their idea and advancing it, but also helping the community. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, we believe at Benedict College that we need our obligation is to both prepare students to go out and get jobs and to create jobs. And that may be the greater of the two responsibilities that we have. Um, we are a cornerstone institution, primarily in a low wealth, predominantly black community, where we know it's important that we create in a commerce, jobs, business, and industry uh, that reinvest itself, that gives life really to um, a geographic area. And so we opened our Women's Business Center, as I mentioned, um, in an effort to really strengthen women-owned businesses. What we know from the literature is that dollars generated by women-owned businesses circulate in the community seven times longer than businesses owned otherwise. And so if we're going to make an economic impact, particularly in Columbia and around the campus, and even in some of our outlying more rural areas, Investing in women is a winning combination, and so we worked really hard there. We also want to expand that to our students, and yes, we have young men on our student body as well, 
Um, we did something different. We went completely textbookless at Benedict College. We embraced um, digital learning. We embraced open source materials. And we saved our kids probably 1000 to $1,200 a semester in textbook costs by going textbookless. But we did have a pretty big, pretty nice bookstore. So we repurposed that bookstore as an innovation hub. And so our students who may have a business idea, uh, they tend to refer to them as a side hustle. We're trying to help those students turn those side hustles into scalable businesses. And so we've given them space in the Entrepreneurship Center. If they have a product or service they want to sell or distribute, we give them an opportunity to market that product, um, to position that product, to develop a business plan, to secure financing, and really scale up and be sustainable. So we have a, a campus culture that really facilitates and supports entrepreneurship because we believe, as, as I'm sure that you do, that business really is the backbone. If we can get people starting businesses, healthy businesses, they can scale up and grow and that will sustain and create intergenerational wealth. That's the, that's the name of the game for us. And that's it's so important because the reason I stayed in Columbia after college is because that was the atmosphere that was here and we'd lost some of that. And I think it's very important that we're encouraging people to follow those dreams and create their own opportunities. That entrepreneurial spirit here is so important. And the more people that we can interact with folks, they get to meet founders and they get to hear the stories. And I get excited still when I hear about a business or, I, you know, we've done, I don't know, close to 52 ribbon cuttings this year. Every one of those excites me because somebody has taken a leap from an idea into a business or they've grown into where they have their own space. Um, we try to turn everything into an entrepreneurial opportunity. Um, we identify a need on the campus. Listen, we needed a barbershop. So we decided, okay, we're going to create tiger cuts and we're going to get our students licensed. They're going to work under barbers and they're going to offer that service to our students, not in their dorm rooms, clogging up my toilets, but in the salon that we were able to build for them. So every time we see a need, we try to respond with an entrepreneurial, creative, innovative way um, to stimulate that interest in business development. Well, I was thinking about doing a side hustle and getting into the braiding business because <laughs> I was at a career day about two weeks ago at a challenge school. Mm -hmm. And I sat between a young lady who does nails and a young lady who does braids. And they were sharing with me what they get for their services. And I was like, I was looking around going, it's time for us to learn a new skill. I think I, and for $25, I can be certified. I need to figure this out. Yeah, it will, but, yeah. but what was interesting is them telling their story, especially mm -hmm. at this school where it was a challenge school. There were some young ladies that all came and sat down with them to learn about how they could do that so that they could earn money mm -hmm. to advance themselves. And I tell you, I walked away from there going, that was probably the best thing I participated in in a while because – those ladies telling that story and and being single mothers and other things related to kids who felt like they had no opportunity mm -hmm. and they 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 realized that hey if i do two or three braids a week i can make $500 right. i can control my own destiny i can go to that take that community college class that i wanted mm -hmm. or i can do this i can buy my own clothes and I tell you what, it was it was very interesting, and I didn't realize how much nails cost either. Now I know why our visa bill is so much. On uh -huh. Wow. But talk a little bit, enrollment's up. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about recruitment, because what I was astounded by is how many kids I've met that are from geographically all over that chose to come to Benedict. And I do think there is a rise, at least from what I'm hearing and seeing and reading, 
kids wanting to go back to the historical black colleges. And there's, there's, there's this new, and, you know, some people say it's because prime time is coaching, you know, and <laughs> other stuff. But I, I really think it's, it's the, the change mm-hmm. and, and people want that more personal uh, relationship with their professors and their classmates and not be lost. I think that's a really good assessment on your part. The reality is there are 105 historically black colleges in the country, and the largest among us is about 12,500 students. So if you think about that proportionate to the size of many of our colleges and universities, our largest historically black college is still quite small in the constellation of colleges in America. And so you do have a much more personal experience. Certainly there are a whole host of colleges and universities in this country. And I think the hallmark of the American higher education system really is the diversity. You can have a comprehensive university. You can have a women's college, public, private, two-year, four-year. There are so many options for students that it's important for them to choose a place they feel welcome, a place where they feel at home. And that's a good fit for them socially and culturally and otherwise. And so I think this renaissance we're experiencing around historically black colleges really is around students understanding for the first time that belonging matters, that representation matters, and there are places that they can go and feel a sense of belonging um, and know that there are faculty members, there are administrators who may share their lived experience, who may look like them, who may be able to relate in a slightly different way. We certainly teach the same courses. We teach English, math, you know, same courses that you can get at most colleges and universities, but we teach it in a culturally um, significant way. So while you're going to read all of the great literary giants, you're also going to read Zora Neale Hurston, and you're also going to study James Baldwin. We try to be very sensitive to the kinds of materials Mm -hmm. that we offer our students because, again, representation matters. They see role models in lots of different places, and that creates a sense of self-confidence, a sense of self-efficacy, and gives them agency over their own lives and choices. So from a discipline standpoint, not much difference, but from a cultural standpoint, it can be a very significant difference. I think the other thing that I, at least what outside looking in person, I think is that you've, you've opened your campus to everybody. Yes. And I know there were some, some critics about uh, some of the guests that you had uh, come over there, but I do think the exposure for kids to hear and see different views and different people and 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 have those I mean I think you had what every presidential candidate come through we had we did in the last cycle prior cycle uh, as you might know there were 12 Democrats on the ticket and one Republican toward the end and we had all 13 on the campus in a single cycle and I just you know we did take some heavy criticism for that um, but I believe deeply in the value of of multiple experiences and multiple perspectives on any particular issue Uh, Historically, black colleges, interestingly, were founded out of exclusion. There simply were no other opportunities for people of color in this country at that time. And so while they're born of exclusion, we have never excluded. Uh, Jewish refugee scholars fleeing Nazi Germany found a home on the campus of historically black colleges. They were the professorate for very many years. And so... Uh, exclusion has just not been our um, our culture. And so we don't exclude ideas either. We may not agree with everyone, but I think we can demonstrate a level of mutual respect and appreciation for the exchange. And so um, we've been pretty committed at Benedict to opening our doors and welcoming the community in. Um, multiple diverse viewpoints, I think, make us all stronger, uh, help us to be more tolerant, help us to be more thoughtful. Um, and the truth is um, we're not always right. 
no one person can be right all the time. And I think if we're unwilling uh, to listen to a perspective that might be different than our own, then we're really quite small intellectually. And that's not our job as colleges and universities. Our goal is to grow the intellectual capacity of our students, and that includes a tolerance for other viewpoints. I wish more presidents thought that way. I mean, there's, it's been interesting to watch over the years what campuses do. But, you know, I it, it was interesting that, that some of the folks who were given a hard time now – realize the exposure and the opportunity has really, it, it's it's empowered Benedict College yeah. and also made it, it was a free marketing. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but at the end of the day, y- y'all got a lot of mentions of a lot of impressions, mm-hmm. which brought exposure to our city, to our kids, to the campus, uh, you know, and that can't hurt in recruitment either. Well, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think, um, again, if our goal is first and foremost to educate Um, we really have an obligation. We have a responsibility to engage our students in dialogue, and that means two-way dialogue. Um, If we teach our students to be myopic, to only see things one way in one one one-size-fits-all world, then we've really not done our job. And so I think... um, while some of the mentions weren't uh, exactly what we would have liked, uh, maybe all publicity is good publicity, I don't know, um, but it certainly has exposed Benedict to a very different audience. Uh, folks who drove past our campus a hundred times but never really paid attention and never felt fully welcome um, now I think feel welcome on this campus. Different kinds of students now feel welcome on this campus. Certainly we are a historically black college, um, and as a result of that, again, our, our materials are culturally sensitive, those kinds of things. But we're not exclusive. The goal is to engage everyone. And I think you have very much instilled that, not only in the students, but in the faculty and in in Benedict College itself. I think pe- that's what the way people um, see Benedict today. And I, and I think it's great because, you know, here in a city where we have six colleges and universities, mm-hmm. it stands out and people recognize that. Um, I did want to ask, you know, in today, what do you think the – these students, their biggest challenge today is? Well, uh, as we were discussing just before we got on the air, it's really um, post-COVID finding their way, right? Emotionally, psychologically, and otherwise, our kids were isolated for a pretty long period of time. That is not exclusive to Benedict College. All of our students across the country, whether they were K-12 or post-secondary, really struggled during COVID-19. And so I think we're going to have to be sensitive for a very long time to where students were when COVID-19 hit. So if you were a first grader, you would have been learning to read and you unfortunately would have had to do that virtually with perhaps a working parent who wasn't able to help you. And so uh, if you were in second grade, you were learning multiplication tables. So by the time you get to the fourth grade, if you're struggling with long division, we need to remember that that was a kid who learned multiplication virtually at home potentially. And so rather than diagnose them with a learning disability, we need to go back and reflect on what they may have missed during that particular period of time. And so while I'm never, ever an advocate for lowering standards, I am an advocate for context. And context is going to matter for a very long time for a generation of kids who have come through COVID-19. You know, it's interesting today, just had a conversation with with an employee who's tomorrow because of the potential wins and they're canceling school and going, hey, we're using this virtual platform and that they are very they were very concerned as a parent saying is this going to be the norm and everybody use this every time there's a chance not to go into the classroom we're just getting to a point where our children are getting back into the rhythm and noticeably different 
they're what they're learning because of the interaction mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. classroom. Do you think we're going down a dangerous path a little bit with the I virtual do. classroom? Is a quick switch to solve things today? I do, and I, I don't express that. I express that simply as an opinion, not a criticism of folks that I think are trying to do what's best for students, particularly our superintendents and folks like that who are in a position to make decisions. Um, my employees asked today, I understand that, you know, Richland 2 is going to go virtual tomorrow. Are we, do we have to report in? Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. We do not cancel college because it's raining. Uh, that is not the norm. And so the fact that I get those questions, right, um, is a symptom of what we are now experiencing, that people have gotten very comfortable saying, let's just do it online. And the fact of the matter is, and you can see it in the nationwide data, ACT and SAT scores are suggesting a significant um, decrease in math scores um, for students who have been virtual for the last two years. We are certainly experiencing on our campus with uh, students who have come into the college who would have finished their junior and senior years virtually, uh, tend to be um, overcoming some deficits, quite frankly, in learning. And so I think um, we should be very, very careful about, while we will never be normal again, whatever normal is, um, defaulting to let's just stay home. It'd just be easier to stay at home. Our kids need socialization. They need the classroom. They need instruction. And they need engagement. Uh, talking to other uh, other presidents and other university uh, officials, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up is is the pandemic obviously had a, a major effect, but even before the pandemic, it seemed that that we in our community weren't at the level, standard of educational level in the high school level as other communities and that it, that it hurt our kids and that our local kids struggled harder than others. Have you found that to be true or is it just lost now that, that the pandemic piece comes in and there's such a, you know, everybody has a little bit of, of I'm behind syndrome. I, unfortunately, <clears throat> I think it's true. Um, unfortunately, I am a come here instead of a from here. Um, my children we transitioned. <laughs> my children transitioned from Florida, um, and quite frankly, were significantly ahead of their classes when they arrived here. Um, and we certainly see uh, disparities across the state. Uh, I think Columbia pro proper, Richland one, Richland two. I think they do a fine job, and I think you see a, a smaller gap in the city, so to speak, mm -hmm. in the capital city. Um, when we get to our outlying areas in Bamberg County and some of those places where our students have been really under-resourced historically um, and whose school systems may not provide higher-level math courses, multiple languages, things of that sort, we certainly see a disparity. And so I think when you take South Carolina in the aggregate, we've had a competitive disadvantage for some time as it relates to our academic programs. Fortunately or unfortunately, COVID leveled the playing field because it set everybody back at the same time. Um, and so we don't stand out in the way that we may have done three or four years ago. Yeah. One of the, the things I was curious is, what can we do as a city to improve the experience for the Benedict students? Well, I think you've made a really good stride in terms of creating the council. I think it's important that our students are a mere four blocks from the University of South Carolina, which is a phenomenal institution. I'm very proud to be in a state with a flagship um, of that caliber. However, our students felt like other. Uh, there is USC and others. 
um, you're including them along with USC students, along with Columbia College students and CIU and everyone else in the conversation about their community mm-hmm. is meaningful to them. Um, we certainly have experienced some wonderful opportunities to partner with our colleague institutions. I think they now see Benedict as a partner, uh, not as the other small school down the street. <laughs> um, certainly we are all different. Uh, you know, again, Columbia College was historically a women's college. They're evolving. We're a historically black college. We continue to evolve. I think we all play a role in the ecosystem. But I think to the extent that we can collaborate and engage and view one another as different, not lesser, um, is probably the best thing we can do for all of our kids. Yeah, I always believe everybody has a role. There's always a role and there's always an opportunity for everybody. And um, we want to make sure we're continuing to embrace. We also want to make sure that we're also celebrating the wins that 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 Benedict, Allen, Columbia College, CIU, you know, even Lenore Ryan, we've got kids who are in the seminary and yeah. occupational program who are engaging with us, which I think is great, but we want to celebrate those. Um, it's one of the things that comes up sometimes is the Benedict motto, a power for good in society. Yes. You know, I, outsider, not from here, as you said, mm-hmm. What do you think we can do as a city to stand behind that motto a little bit more? Because I think it's a great one. Well, I appreciate that. I think, you know, presence matters. I think representation matters. Um, It is for our students to see you on the campus has been a very big deal. Uh, For you to celebrate their successes has been a very big deal to them. Um, For them to see the city's leadership getting behind Benedict College means something to them. Uh, I responded, perhaps I shouldn't have, uh, Twitter fingers, I don't know. Uh, Someone said, well, USC is at home, so I hope people will come out and see Benedict. Excuse me, USC is away this weekend, so I hope people will watch Benedict. We're not the entertainment if USC is out of town. You know, we are an excellent program in a championship bid. It would be nice if the community supported us as well, not just as a default if USC is out of town. I mean, I think that's pretty tough to swallow if you're a Benedict kid to see that. And I'm sure that it was a well-meaning comment by whoever uh, posted it to suggest that the community really come out and support Benedict because there's nothing else happening this weekend. No, it's because it's a championship bid. It's a history-making season, and we want to pack that stadium. So I think we have to be mindful sometimes about um, the way we sort of refer to Benedict as an other, as I said before, um, rather than a a key component of the city. I always say, you know, we speak in acronyms all the time. Uh, Benedict College is, you know, we put the BC in HBCU, but BC also stands for Better Columbia. Right. If Benedict is healthy, then Columbia is healthier as a result of it. Oh, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think that was one of the greatest things that came out of talking with the students is, is they truly want people to be come to their campus. And they're like, we do a terrible job as a community. We we talk to each other, but we don't talk to everybody at this campus. And, you know, one of the things, a homecoming that USC was doing, they had mm-hmm. 2,000 extra tickets. And so the kids were saying, hey, you know, y'all come and join us, you know, right. trying to get it. But, you know, the young lady was talking about uh, some of the programs that were going on in Benedict. She's like, I, I need to figure out how to invite other people here and expose. And I think that's what we want to try to do is this cross-pollinization yeah. is, is, you know what, we, 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 we're we having our the side hustle. I guess y'all do something <laughs> at the right. gym. 
That's right. And allow all these people to to show their wares, their mm-hmm. earrings, entrepreneurship there. Yeah, but how do we, how do we get the other campuses to participate in that? And like they were saying, hey, you know, we've got this great play going or this art show going. They all come here, and I think we just all have to continue to to be mindful of trying to encourage more people to to look at our campuses and. I mean, we got somebody says to me, there's nothing to do in Columbia. I was like, there's 10 things going on at Benedict. There's 10 things going on at USC. There's 10 things going on here. What do you mean there's nothing, let alone what's happening downtown? Yeah, I think we maybe need to consider a community calendar of sorts. Obviously, the, the uh, publications that we have in Columbia are, are tremendously informative and helpful. But at some point, a centralized sort of what's happening around town. So this is my challenge for my young people on my yeah. committee is, is we're going to do an app contest okay. and allow all the students at all the schools and whoever the winner is, there'll be a cash prize. And then we'll take their app idea and make it happen. And the idea is that not only can they talk about restaurants or, hey, there's a seamstress that does this. Mm-hmm. Hey, our campus this week, our calendar's on there. So suddenly you get a date and you see there's 20 things going on in yeah. Columbia at all these campuses that you could be participating right. in. Right. And, you know, football schedules and, and homecoming parades and all of that, making sure that people know they can participate. And uh, that's that and getting us an Apple Store are the two challenges I put I, I would not be opposed to that. <laughs> We've got an Apple Lab at Benedict in collaboration with the with University of South Carolina, and I know that we're putting Apple Labs in some of our other outlying areas. So we would love to have an Apple store. Way to go. Yeah, we're, that, that is our mission. And so you'll probably send your campus at some point. I'll be there with students. So we're getting uh, student ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And then we're doing a social media campaign to Tim Cook and all the awesome. the, the C-suite folks. We're going to see how many emails, texts, social media posts that we can target to them to help get that. Because well, we're I a capital city that doesn't have it with 60,000 college students, let alone another 45,000 in, in um, high school and junior high that all probably have multiple that's devices. Exactly right. So that's exactly right. Yeah, that's one of our... our our goals. Um, well, I certainly hope my kids, I was just reflecting on your app contest. I certainly hope the kids at Benedict College are positioned uh, to compete. You may know that um, we just had this wonderful partnership develop with ServiceNow, which is a Fortune 100 company. We're very excited to re- um, to bring the CEO to campus last week. Um, very exciting for our campus. Uh, they made a million-dollar investment in a lab on our campus. They are a white-label app developer, if you're not familiar with them. So virtually every app you use in the world is based on their platform. Uh, and so most people don't recognize the name, but it is a you know billion and a half dollar company uh, that builds apps and has a platform on a daily basis. And so our kids are heavily engaged in their boot camp now, learning to develop uh, app design and those kinds of things. So I hope they'll be competitive in your contest. Yeah, next week they're supposed to finalize the criteria, and then we're going to ship it out to all the campuses and try to have something in the spring to launch. So uh, it'll be interesting, which also kind of segues back to the cyber piece, which, mm-hmm. you know, we've had these conversations about trying to create a collaborative space downtown. Well, suddenly I went to the cyber uh, conference and started to meet all these folks who want to help engage. And they all realize that, that we have so much potential here and, yeah. and we have all these creative minds. And so I think hopefully we'll be able to, for what Benedict's gotten a reputation for USC and other campuses. And then obviously Midlands tech, all these programs that we can bring it together, have this collab lab mm-hmm. 
that really helps springboard a lot of these young minds. But what it does is it opens us to get all these patents from the Department of Navy that we can use that are basis for these kids to build these, these, these programs. I mean, this is way over my head. I mean, I even have a computer in college. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, I think technology is evolving at such an incredibly rapid pace. It's scary to me. Digital natives are going to have the jump on us. Oh, there's no doubt. You know, uh, I want to be a millionaire has phone a friend. I have a phone, a child. Hey, <laughs> exactly I'm stuck. Right. I don't know how to do this. Dad, what do you mean you don't know how to do this? I don't know how to do it. Um, my girls give me a hard time about it, but you know, yeah. we just grew up in a different era. Did. A little simpler in many respects. Uh, they, our kids have more creature comforts, um, but they also have many challenges that we would not have faced. I mean, my biggest challenge is what I was going to use for a base outside when we were playing a little stick ball. So uh, these kids, have a very different life than we had. And it comes with both blessings and curses, quite frankly, the responsibility on them to use technology effectively, particularly with cyber threats and those kinds of things, creates a very different environment than we grew up in. It is different. And for all the freedoms and way they express themselves online through the Snapchats or their Instagram post or whatever, also find it very interesting how many of those kids are still very shy on a one-on-one. And I, and I hope that we don't lose that. You know, um, I try to tell people I never want to have an email exchange with somebody that I haven't really met personally, because I don't know how to take their contents or their text Mm -hmm. message or, and you know, the kids look at you like, what do you mean? I'm like, how do you know what they really mean when they're sending you a message? Yeah. Um, I I think internet etiquette is sort of an interesting specialty these days. You know, just you say something unkind and put a smiley on the end, that doesn't really change it. I mean, so we do find ourselves trying to second guess. Body language means something, right? Seeing how people relate and engage with you means something, which is, again, the other reason I'm very concerned about this sort of post-COVID environment where our kids have gotten very comfortable being alone. Um, For the first time in my entire career, I've been a president. This is my 10th year as a president. And... um, I had a kid ask me this year, do I have to go to the parties? Normally, you program a college campus, particularly uh, orientation week, almost like a cruise ship. I mean, there's something happening all the time on the campus. And this year's class, ask. I mean, we'll go to the mandatory lectures and things like that, but do we have to go to the parties? I've never had a college kid ask me that question before. They are quite content to do the minimum in terms of engagement and then go back to their dormitories and be alone. And I'm, I'm very concerned about that. I think some of the mental health challenges we're seeing. I think you're right. And I think we're seeing more and more of that, uh, which is also, you know, one of those things that concerns all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a community issue, but making, I shouldn't say the word making, but, you know, trying to encourage kids to have more socializations and create some different bonds other than a Snapchat and some of the other scrolling. I mean, it was interesting we started looking at kids and my wife's a pediatrician and she's talking to a parent and they're very concerned about their kids mm-hmm. academics and this and that. And the kid, you know, picks up the phone and shows how much time they're on their phone. Yeah, it's, I mean, frightening. I, it's frightening. Do you see the, uh, you may have seen the little meme or little internet ad. There's a two year old who has a tablet and she's just incredibly proficient swiping, moving, scrolling, you know, playing with this tablet. And then they handed the same child a book and she was like, tapping it, trying to get it to do something, swiping the pages and trying to get it to interact with her and just threw it across the room. This thing's broken, right? It doesn't do anything. And so our kids are so acclimated to being constantly entertained and constantly engaged. It's beautiful um, to see the technology work. And yet 
life moves at the speed of relationships. They have got to be able to hold a conversation to maintain eye contact and to function. It doesn't matter what how good you are. If nobody knows it because you can't communicate it, it doesn't really matter. We, 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 we made our kids uh, take a course, and they actually had to call a friend and set up a play date. They had to get on a phone and actually call and ask the parents if they could speak to the child and learn it and, you know, still make them, you know, don't make them anymore. They do it naturally. They write thank you notes and they understand the value of that personal Mm -hmm. touch that it means a lot more than text messaging somebody. And uh, it goes back to the interview skills. You know, one of the struggles we have here is, is people, they don't know how to have a a one-on-one interview. Very socially awkward. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge. It's something uh, we spend a great deal of time in uh, with our career development center. You know, we talk about soft skills. There's nothing soft about those skills. Those are essential skills. They're power skills. They're corporate skills. Our kids have got to learn to function, uh, to interview well, to articulate their capacity effectively. Um, And so we spend a lot of time investing in that, uh, and we ask for the community support in that. Mentors are critically important. Examples are important. Shadowing opportunities, internships. They can't learn unless they get the exposure and they have the opportunity to be in a setting, a business setting, a professional setting, and understand those social norms that we all had to learn. Um, if they're never given that opportunity because they live life behind a, a computer screen, I never love that you, you got away from the soft skills because yeah. I don't think it's soft skills. They're, they really are. They are corporate skills. They're survivor skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't learn all that on YouTube. No, I hate really to can't. tell everybody, you know, there's a lot of things I've learned on YouTube and I'll, I'll be the first one to say it is. Yeah, my nice husband changed the guts something. in our toilet. It was really impressive. <laughs> I mean, he was able to do some of those things. I, I do like YouTube. Yeah. But when it comes to, to the, this, I think for, for life skills, this, you, you can't teach it. You have to learn it and you have to learn from your mistakes and, you know, learning that it's okay to fail and, and, and learn from it and how you improve from it. And I think we've done a lot of helicoptering over the yeah. years too. And, um, hopefully we're getting there, but Hey, look, you believe it or not, it's been an hour. <laughs> I've talked to you to death. I apologize. No, Dr. Artis, you know, we really appreciate what you've brought to Benedict. We appreciate the passion. We see it in, in your students, your student body. The, there's a sense of pride on that campus every time that I've had the opportunity to be there. I hope I can try to get by there to at least watch part of the game this weekend. Because, um, we, look, this, this is a big deal it's for thick. y'all. It's we haven't really big. talked about it. We've downplayed it a little bit, but you've got to, it's got to, talk, you got to talk about Benedict Tiger football for a minute. I'm pretty excited. We're 10-0. and 0. Uh, We're um, favored to win this weekend. We'll see. We're playing against the Tuskegee Tigers, so it's going to be an epic battle of the Tigers at the Charlie W. Donson Stadium starting at 2 o'clock on Saturday. It will be the first uh, SIAC championship in Benedict's history for football. We've won lots of other championships, but for football, this would be a first for us, so we're very, very excited about that. And, you know, as I was sharing uh, with you before we went kind of live, the real story of the football program at Benedict is yet to be told. The work that Chenis Berry and his coaching staff have done, character development, academic enrichment, um, helping men be men on and off the field um, has really shown itself in myriad ways across our campus. They are gentlemen. Uh, they work hard. They put in the time. They make the sacrifice. Um, those kids worship together every Sunday. They attend Bible study. They attend study hall. They are a family in many respects. We've had 11 young men give their lives to Christ this semester alone. 
that, let's see, 10 wins, 11 souls. I'll take the souls for 10, Alex. Um, we're really, really proud of what's happening with this football program, and it's it's bigger than the game. Um, you know, Coach Barry says his faith, God is the 12th man on that, on that field at any given time, and they are being rewarded for their faithfulness. So we're just peacock proud of them and looking forward to seeing a W on Saturday. Not only are we excited as a community for them to win and having that first win, but what you said about Coach Barry molding and yeah. creating. And, and I, the story you told earlier, I think, is the best, is that the young gentleman always opening the door oh, yeah. for, for yourself and other ladies mm-hmm. on campus and all of that. That that says a lot. Yeah, That says a lot. And you understand how they parlay that into the discipline and the commitment that they're giving, which means when they leave Benedict and go on, they're going to take those same skill sets. And it'll be interesting to see the young men from this team where yeah. they end up. Longitudinally. Yep. Um, you've given me an idea. I may track them I, so we can get some good data. I was writing a little op-ed. It's almost cathartic for me sometimes to, to talk about these things. But to watch the evolution of this program, again, spiritually, ac- athletically, academically, uh, Coach Barry's implemented a smart cat program. So all the young men that have a three or better on Dean's list, he celebrates them with a little shirt. The little tiger has his eyeglasses on and a book under his, you know, in his paw. Um, he finds ways constantly to celebrate things other than football, right? Being good people, being um, respectful and kind and working hard. And those are skills that whether they appreciate it right now or not, I think they do. But I think as they get older, they'll appreciate it even more. Um, that resilience is going to show and it, up. And, 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 and it, it rubs off from student to student. You it know, does. You know, there was a time where athletes didn't care about it. Now everybody realizes, you know what, I'm, I may be playing in college. I may never play another snap of football yeah. down the road. I need to make sure that I'm I'm carrying myself all the way. I need to know that I control my destiny. And I think those little things make a huge difference in celebrating it. By from a coach like that, I think sends probably a much stronger message than anything we could say. I think so too. You know, Jackson State can have Dion. I'll take Jennis Barry. <laughs> we're excited. Uh, we're excited for Jackson State too. But um, in case you haven't seen the national rankings among HBCUs, uh, Benedict is number two, right behind Jackson State. So we're the only two undefeated HBCU teams in the country. Jackson, watch State out, prime time. We're coming for you. Listen, uh, my alumni have said, let's start a Twitter war. He'll respond. Let's just win this championship, and then we'll talk about that later. Let's get the ring. That's right. That's right. Let's get the ring. Well, thank you, Dr. Artis, for spending your time with us this afternoon. We appreciate all that's going on on campus. And please, anything that we can do to improve an experience for a student at Benedict, we want to be part of it. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.